Good morning. Uh, my name is Dave Dunderdale, also one of the pastors here, along with Mark and, and Giddy Bell. Uh, if you're a visitor, we're pretty glad you're here. If you are with us online, glad you can be with us that way as well. Uh, and again, if you've been here for a little while, let me encourage you to, to make sure you introduce yourself to someone you don't know this morning. Uh, it's really important that we make these connections together uh, as the body of Christ and strengthen the, the ties that bind us together. We have been this summer doing a, a series on uh, the Psalms, and when it came to picking the last Psalm for us to, do, to look at in this series, next week we start a whole new series, I thought about picking my favorite Psalm, uh, but like so much in my life, I couldn't decide. And then a thought occurred to me, much more interesting than my favorite Psalm would be to look at the New Testament's favorite Psalm. Which psalm is quoted the most, is alluded to the most in the New Testament? And I was surprised when I looked up to see what it was. The psalm that is quoted and alluded the most in the New Testament is not one that would have been on my top ten list. It is one that I have never preached on or taught before. And is our text for this morning, Psalm 110. I encourage you uh, to open the Bible there in your pew, your own Bible, and find Psalm 110 in the middle of the, our Bible. One scholar counted 37 times this psalm is alluded to in the New Testament. We will read this uh, and responsively. Listen again to God's word to us from Psalm 110, a psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. This too is word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Songs are important. And the book of Psalms is not so much a theological textbook as it is a hymn book. It is the songs that Israel sang. It is the songs that the church has sung. Some denominations only will sing the psalms. And it is the songs that Jesus sang. Psalms weren't read, they were sung. And just as if you have spent any time in just about any Protestant church, if I say to you, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, you know the rest, right? Yeah. Or I once was lost, and now I'm, I once was blind. We know how the rest of it goes. And so apparently in the early church, if you had said, the Lord says to my Lord, they could respond, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So a couple of questions for us this morning. Why was this psalm so important for the early church? 
And then secondly, why might this psalm be important for us today? So why was this psalm so important to the early church? And the obvious answer is that this question is that it was important because it was important to Jesus. In our first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus quotes this psalm in his confrontation with the religious leaders in the temple a few days before his death. They come at Jesus with question after question until finally after answering them all, basically shutting them up, Jesus asked them a question. How is it, he says, that David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, David who wrote this psalm, Jesus is saying, inspired by the Holy Spirit, how is it David could write the Lord, and the word there in Hebrew, if you look in your Bible, the word Lord there is all in capital letters, means Yahweh. How is it then that Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Everyone in Judaism in the first century knew that the Messiah would be a son of David. And when blind Bartimaeus calls out to Jesus on the road, son of David, have mercy on me. He is calling Jesus the Messiah. Jesus is asking the question then, how could the Messiah be David's son and David's Lord? David as the father would be greater, but here he calls the Messiah his Lord. Not only that, but the Lord, again, Yahweh, is the Lord Yahweh says to David's Lord, sit at my right hand. David's Lord was no earthly king. He is seated at the right hand of Yahweh. He is David's Lord, so he's greater than David and seated at the right hand of God. And God alone sits on his throne. Who could possibly be seated at God's right hand? And here Jesus is explaining to us the mystery of his incarnation. He's a son of David by his human birth, but he is seated at God's right hand. He is also God himself. And so this psalm answers the crucial question for the early church and for us. Who is this Jesus? Peter quotes this psalm in his Pentecost sermon in Acts chapter 2. In the very conclusion of his sermon, he basically says, Who is this Jesus whom you have crucified? but is now raised and is indeed seated at the right hand of God, as Psalm 110 told us he would be. He is Lord, and you crucified him, Peter says. And they respond, what must we do then to be saved? But there's a second reason why this psalm was important to the early church. And that is because it not only gives evidence for Jesus' two natures, fully human, fully divine, but it also explains how he can have more than one role. Jesus is king. He is Lord. He is the Messiah, the son of David, born in the royal line. But he's also our priest. But how can he be a priest? He was not born from the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe. He was no descendant of Aaron. How could he be our priest? And the book of Hebrews struggles with this question, and it is here in Psalm 110 that we have our answer. Jesus is our high priest, but not like the Old Testament Levitical high priest. He is a different order of priests. Jesus, Psalm 110 tells us that he is a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. If you remember your old, we looked at this a while ago when we did the book of Genesis, right? Melchizedek, this strange figure who just one verse pops into the story of Abraham. Melchizedek. 
is there after Abraham defeats the kings in battle. He shows up and blesses Abraham and feeds him with bread and wine and receives from Abraham a tithe. And we're told that Melchizedek was a priest of God Most High and that he was the king of Salem, of, of Jerusalem. Jesus is like Melchizedek. He is a priest and a king. And the book of Hebrews then is, can really be considered a sermon on Psalm 110, on a reflection of how Jesus is greater than any angel, any prophet, any priest. He is our perfect high priest who offers himself as a sacrifice once for all so we can reconcile to God once and for all. And so that's a second reason why this psalm is so important. And then there's a third reason. is because it gave them confidence to stand against their enemies. This is a psalm, a, a song that reminds us that Jesus is on the throne and no one can stand against him. Verses 2 and 3 describe his power. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. And then verses 5 to 7 make us uncomfortable, right, as they describe the Messiah as one who will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. And then verse 7, this sort of strange verse to conclude with, he will drink from a brook along the way, and so he'll lift his head high. It's best explained as this victorious king in pursuit of his enemies will stop at the brook and get the drink of water so he can continue to chase his enemies down until all are destroyed. He will not grow weary in pursuit of his enemies. This is the Jesus we are talking about. The sovereign Lord seated at the right hand of God who is in control of all of history. No thing, no person, no nation, no spiritual being, no principality or power can stand against him. He will defeat all his foes. And these verses, I think, indeed make us uncomfortable. Right? This picture of Jesus in this way Which leads us then to our second question this morning. Why might this psalm be important for us today? And to answer that question, let's think a little bit more about the importance of songs. I suspect, like many of you, I'm fascinated by the American Civil War. As a little child, I, that war captured my imagination. I heard something a few years ago that surprised me. A historian talking about the importance of music in the war said there were some in the South who believed the North won the war because they had better songs to sing. Generals knew the importance of music. In fact, this is astounding to me, in the first year of the war in 1861, there were 28,000 musicians in the Union Army. Each regiment had their own band of at least 24 members. And the same was true of the Confederate Army. Robert E. Lee said that he would have had no army without music. Music was crucial to the morale of the troops, and there were literally hundreds of battle songs that were written. A picture of the importance of music. But there's another story. In this past March, a group of us from Blacknall, from Epworth United Methodist, from Mount Level Missionary Baptist Church traveled on a pilgrimage to Alabama 
to see where some of the most significant events in the civil rights movement happened. And we traveled to, to Birmingham and had the privilege there in Birmingham of meeting some of the, the foot soldiers from the marches in Birmingham. We met two women who were just teenagers when they marched in the Children's March in 1963. And they talked to us about the, the training they had to undergo before they would march. They would gather in the church and there they would be taught about nonviolence, to prepare themselves for the violence they might suffer and how they would not respond in kind, but would receive, take in their own bodies that violence. And they said, and they taught us the songs to sing. And the two women said, they were sitting in that church, and we began to sing those songs, and as if, as if we were carried up, we stood up and came to the front to volunteer to march, carried along by the songs that we were singing. The songs that they sang, songs that have become known to us, the, the anthem of the civil rights, We Shall Overcome, the song, Oh, freedom, oh, freedom, oh, freedom over me, over me. Before I be a slave, I'd be buried in my grave and go home to my Lord and be saved. And one I had not heard before, ain't going to let nobody turn me around. Ain't gonna let nobody turn me round, turn me round, turn me round. Ain't gonna let nobody turn me round. I'm gonna keep on walking, keep on talking, marching up to freedom land. Ain't gonna let nervous Nelly turn me around, turn me around, turn me around. Ain't gonna let Bull Connor turn me around, turn me around. Another song. I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on freedom. Here's my question. Is Psalm 110 a battle song, like Battle Hymn of the Republic? Or is it a freedom song? Is it a song we sing as we go out to destroy our enemies? Or is it a song we sing to stand against evil nonviolently in the hope that indeed enemies can be transformed into brothers and sisters? The Apostle Paul quotes Psalm 110 in 1 Corinthians 15, 25. He says, one day Jesus will vanquish his foes. His enemies will be a footstool, including the enemy of death itself. The book of Revelation describes a time when Jesus shall return and every foe will be defeated. But for us in the meantime, it is crucial, and I use that word purposefully, it is crucial that we pay attention to one more time when Jesus quotes Psalm 110. A couple of days after he quotes it in his confrontation in the temple with the religious leaders, he quotes it again after he has been arrested and brought before the high priest. In Luke twenty-two sixty-nine, when Jesus is asked, if you are the Messiah, tell us. And Jesus replies, from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Quoting Psalm 110. As Jesus is before the Sanhedrin, this group that is deciding his fate, he sings this song. This, he sings this song that guarantees that he will, be, he will go to the cross. This is a freedom song. It's a song that enables us to march against hatred and violence and to respond with love and sacrifice. It's a song that refuses to try to win a victory using the means of this world. We won't win with lies, with manipulation, with coercion. We don't need these tactics because Jesus is indeed seated at the right hand of God. 
is what we read in our first scripture reading, this other great hymn, Freedom Song of the Early Church. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do not use the world's tactics. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests as the world would, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God. Here's the hymn. Here's the song. A song that the, the early church sang. Did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And he is seated at the right hand. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is a freedom song. Free to take the nature of a servant. We are free to take the nature of a servant, even with those who are our enemies. Free to humble ourselves, free to be obedient, even to death on a cross. Because Jesus is on the throne, God exalted him to the highest place, and we belong to him. As one of our freedom songs says, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. When we lived in Cameroon, we were friends with a Wycliffe translator who worked in the very northern part of Cameroon, just south of the Sahara Desert. We were told the story of they were moving from Yaoundé, the capital, to the, to the north, and the husband was driving their car by himself. The, his wife and children would fly up and meet him later, but he had, he had to get the car up there, so he was driving the car up. And as he drove, uh, it's more than a one-day journey, he stopped in the particular, he could get as far as he could in the daylight. You do not want to drive in Cameroon at, at dark. He stopped. There's no... Motel 6 <laughs> in this village. There's nothing there. There's just what he found was uh, a building not finished yet, right? With walls and a roof, but nothing else. A place where he could get some rest. And so he put out a bedroll, lied down to sleep. And he said, as he was in that house, he had this overwhelming sense of evil that there were spiritual forces that were there that night to destroy him. And he said he was terrified. He said, I began praying, praying did not help. He began quoting Bible verses. He said, it didn't help. This overwhelming sense of evil all around him. And finally, he said, I just started singing hymns. And he said, I stayed awake all night. It was those hymns that preserved me through that whole night. Freedom songs. I don't know what you are facing this morning. Maybe it's not spiritual forces out to destroy you. Maybe it is trying to persevere in a relationship. Maybe it's being tempted indeed to follow the world's ways and not Jesus' ways. We have been given freedom songs, this particular freedom song. Jesus is at the right hand. Our high priest intercedes for us. Let us pray.
Lord Jesus, we need good songs to sing. We pray, Lord, that you, we are thankful for the songs you have given to us in your word, the Psalm 110, the songs that we sing together here, Lord, that come to our mind in our times of need. We pray that we indeed would sing those songs, sing those songs to each other, that we would be encouraged, each one of us, to walk in your way, to march with you, Lord Jesus, in the way that you have called us. Help us, we pray. In your name, amen.